Welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard. I'm Director of ECFR. And this week, we are continuing our Clash of Orders mini-series. We're talking to various distinguished intellectuals and experts to learn more about the concept of order and how it's seen in different global powers. Last time we talked with Pratap Banumeta about the Indian understanding of order, and today I'm very happy to welcome Fyodor Lukyanov, who's going to tell us about the Russian perspective on order. And this, I think, is, is obviously something which is of great interest in the current moment, but it's also, I think, fascinating because... There have been all sorts of debates in Russia about the idea of, uh, of what a multipolar world order would look like and how it can be theorized for, for a long time now. And I think it'd be fascinating to hear what Fyodor can tell us about it. He is the chairman of the Council of Foreign and Defense Policy, the oldest Russian NGO providing expertise in the foreign policy field. He's the editor-in-chief of Russia in Global Affairs, which is an amazing journal published in Russian and English with the participation of foreign affairs. But he's also, for the last few years, been overseeing the, the Valdai Club discussions, which is one of the, the kind of central attempts by Russia to talk about these big issues of uh, global order and war and peace with uh, international audiences. And in that capacity, he's often had the privilege of chairing discussions with uh, with Vladimir Putin himself. Fyodor, thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Leonard. Hello, and I'm very glad to be with you again. So, Fyodor, in this mini-series, I'm asking all of the participants five big questions about the global order and be really good to go through them with you and talk about the Russian perspective on them. And obviously, the, the best way of thinking about order is to start with disorder. So one of the things we I've started everyone with is to think about what the biggest threats to order are now and in the near future in the minds of the, the elites in, in, in each great power. What do you think the, the top five threats to order are for Russians today? Yes. First of all, a small correction, which has to do with uh, what is happening and also probably understanding of order. You mentioned that the Russian Global Affairs Journal is being published in participation with foreign affairs. It used to be, not anymore, because after all this situation started this year, uh, our American partners decided not to continue. So I think it's an illustration of where we are. As for the order, you know, the notion of order is not so much uh, a Russian one. So Russian political thinking, which is uh, very much deep-rooted in the philosophical thinking at large, is not so much inclined to speak about orders, be it in international affairs or in, uh, for example, domestic political system, because uh, Russian tradition is much more about metaphysical things, that power, for example, comes from God directly. That was a tradition with, with Russian monarchy, but it's, I would dare to say, it's broader, this understanding of situation and constellation of uh, circumstances which is being created not by man, not by human beings, but by something else, is quite important for Russian uh, worldview. So order is actually a product of Russian interaction with international community and uh, with neighbors, and looking at the history of Russian presence in international affairs, we can uh, conclude that Russia never 
relied or wanted to rely on some kind of order or uh, rules or principles established for international uh, interaction because it was not needed in Russian case to achieve uh, security and, so to say, well-being of, of the state and of the nation. And in this regard, uh, Russian participation in orders was a product of Russian introduction into international affairs, starting from approximately uh, 80th century. And in 90th century, Russia was for the first time present in uh, the European order, the concept of powers, as a result of uh, personal strengths and, and, and using military uh, force uh, against French and then becoming part of this European policy. After that, uh, I think we uh, basically saw that Russia tried or even successfully tried to be part of uh, European and then international orders, but it was rather to adapt to those orders than to, uh, to create them in, in, in a way. As for today, uh, I think that uh, Russian political thinking is uh, very much different from what we can see both in the West and in the rest, because Russian worldview is profoundly force power centric. It's about capacity uh, to survive in the international environment, and that requires strong potential, first of all, military political potential. And that means that threats are being perceived mostly through this lens as well. That's unfriendly countries, uh, which from Russian point of view, traditionally uh, have some claims against Russian uh, territory or Russian security or Russian whatever, they are seen as main actors of this uh, constellation of threats. That differs a lot from what we see in the West or uh, in, in the rest of the world uh, with this perception of, uh, for example, climate a situation or ecological, environmental things or some kind of social, social humanitarian problems. So for Russian thinking, it's, it's less relevant. And especially now during the severe crisis, which we have, Russian perception of threats is entirely traditional. So Russia perceives the West, NATO plus, uh, US plus, as a force which is trying to impose certain, certain perceptions of the world on, on other countries, but in particular on Russia. And that's the key to everything which Russia is trying to stop. And that is perceived as the root for all the rest. So that's how I would like to, to describe our perception of order. Okay, that's very clear. Obviously, Russia has also had a lot of domestic disorder over, over the centuries, but even over the last 20 years, you had terrorism, you've had financial crises, but you're saying that those are second order issues compared to the, the threat of, the, of Western hegemony and uh, of a kind of US-led global order. Yeah, it's uh, very much interconnected, uh, at least in recent uh, uh, 20, 30 years. So again, last year, when Russia introduced this setup of demands, uh, security demands to, to the West, that Russia has been highly unhappy uh, with the uh, situation in Europe and in the world as it uh, emerged from the end of the Cold War. So the Cold War, to some extent, uh, is seen as the culmination, as the peak of power of the Soviet Union, which entertained the status of uh, 
superpower. That was uh, the first and probably the last time in, in uh, our history. And uh, in this regard, what came after, uh, it is seen as, of course, degradation of that status, but also development of this post-Cold War order, the more feeling in Russia that uh, basically it was unfair, it was unjust vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russian interests, and the West, in particular the United States, abused the situation of Russian uh, weakness, which followed the collapse of the Soviet Union, and this order, this current order, could be possible because of Russian inability to participate in formulating new rules. Because at that time, China was not interested yet, I mean, 30 years ago, and Russia was unable to be a full-fledged conversation partner for the West. And see that uh, both internally and externally, the feeling uh, created during those 30 years in Russia is that it was, to some extent, a wrong path, both in terms of domestic development and internationally, that Russia has lost uh, the place which it deserved and deserves now. So in this regard, uh, the current order is seen as totally illegitimate from Russian point of view. So that leads us well into the second question, which is what the kind of most common mental models in Russia are for the future order. So you just described the way that people think about the, the current order. What is the sort of um, ideal for thinking about order in the future from a Russian perspective? Is it that we're going to have a multipolar order or a bipolar one or a kind of new middle ages or clash of civilizations? What are the kind of both the sort of concepts and the sort of mental maps that the Russian elites have when they think about order in the future? Yeah, New Middle Ages, it's very tempting to say that it would be our <laughs> ideal picture, but it's very difficult to describe what it would mean, actually. <laughs> I think that, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the concept of order is not very typical for Russian thinking. So we discuss all kinds of orders as, as uh, options for the future. Of course, the most uh, common uh, cliche, actually, stereotype is a multipolarity. To some extent, uh, we can mix it with, the, uh, with New Middle Ages, because uh, <laughs> it was also very much multipolar uh, environment at that time. But again, it's very difficult to practically imagine how this format could work. Multipolarity is in place already now, but what does it mean for principles, the, the, the guidelines, how to organize international interaction? Uh, very difficult to say. And this is uh, well uh, understood in Russia. Bipolarity uh, is seen as a possibility uh, of course, in form of China-US, uh, but uh, I would say that uh, this concept is less popular now than it was, say, uh, four or five years ago. Uh, US-centric world is not seen as, uh, as an option for the future. Sino-centric either. Russia-centric, of course not. The period of uh, Russian superpower status is over. So I would say that the regional integration as a practical implementation of multipolarity might be seen as something which Russia sees as a more or less favorable future. And uh, as you, Mark, uh, certainly know, the very popular notion here 
is the notion of civilization, not as something which uh, embraces everything, but civilization as a big cultural community, which is uh, to some extent opposite to the understanding of value-based society uh, in the West. But uh, also the meaning of this is that uh, beyond geopolitical uh, entity, which is important, certain uh, way to organize multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-confessional spaces, big spaces. And in this regard, Russia is seen as a special kind of civilization. And this civilization, at the end of the day, is not urgent need to have a, an order because it's too big and too self-sufficient uh, to need uh, an order for uh, its own continuation and survival, but uh, sees the future as interaction with other civilizations. And in this uh, picture of the world, the West is another civilization, China also, India as well, and so on. So this is multipolarity based on interaction between regional communities. And that's probably how Russia would like to see the next stage of uh, uh, international uh, order after the current turmoil. It's interesting because, you know, for most of the last few hundred years, people have thought about order in terms of, of states and nation states, kind of Westphalian nation states that would have kind of clear boundaries and would have a balance of power with one another. And then, you know, over the last 30 years, Europe has, has transcended the nation state and has tried to come up with this model of regional integration, which was more, I mean, it's often described as a kind of postmodern way of thinking about things where the borders between states are kind of disappearing um, and you have interdependence being built and legal things. But what you're talking about is more a kind of pre-modern notion because the civilizations obviously are not bound by nation states. So civilization, particularly, you know, the idea of Russian civilization, presumably you see that as something which goes across several different nation states. It's not just constrained to the boundaries of the Russia that's represented in the United Nations. Excuse me, I ju just explanation, one explanation. Yes, it, it is. The, the question of uh, civilization that does not necessarily mean that all those belonging to civilizational circle are parts of the same state. It might be uh, some kind of community, regional community, not necessarily having same uh, statecraft structure. And, and secondly, I think it's very important. Yes, it might be seen as a pre-modern, but this is to some extent reaction to a very uh, big challenge which all nation states are facing now in, in the 21st century, because uh, both socially, demographically, technologically, you cannot entertain the previous form of the nation state. It's impossible. So to go back to the Westphalian style, states and the sovereignties is not feasible anymore. It's simply impossible. So that's why civilizational approach is trying to address this problem as well. How does it address that problem? By creating borders which are, so to say, more flexible. I don't mean uh, the current situation with Russian borders, but uh, I mean rather that borders should uh, define certain territories, but not necessarily mean totally intransparent barrier. Uh, and interaction between uh, those parts of civiliz uh, one civilization should be very intense in all senses. 
So it's like a hybrid form of uh, international organization, integration, and nation state. Okay. That sort of leads us to the third question, I suppose, which is, I mean, the question I've been asking people is whether they think that there is or was some kind of rule-based order, and if so, how one would define it. You said earlier that you think there is a rule-based order, but not a legitimate one, because Russia and China were not part of making it. How do you, what is the kind of role of rules in uh, notions of, of order from a Russian perspective? Is it just about power and the kind of Schmittian ability to exercise it and to have capacity, or are there kind of rules that should transcend power? Yeah, at this point, uh, I would say it's mostly about power and the rules-based order, uh, which you mentioned, which is now a very ugly word in Russian, uh, Russian language and Russian uh, political uh, lexicon, is seen uh, through this lens as well. So institutions created under uh, umbrella of this rules-based order uh, are seen as something which was actually product of uh, overwhelming dominance, all components of power by the United States and allies. So yes, as you said, the rules-based order as presented by the West is seen as something illegitimate because it is rules have been formulated in the West. And those rules, the West is trying to make universal, to impose it on others. And secondly, rules are seen as a sophisticated but direct product of force, of power, which uh, Americans and uh, the West had after the Cold War. Obviously, there are different layers of, of the of the rule-based order, you know, you start with the kind of UN charter and the idea of the inviability of borders, and then you have much more recent developments like the responsibility to protect or other things like that, which have been added on to, to the rules, sometimes revising the original order. Do you think that there are any rules which are universal and uncontentious at the moment, or is everything simply kind of product of a balance of power and negotiation between different players, which can be defined through the the struggle between uh, great powers? Yeah, here, I don't think that I can say that uh, there is any particular view on that in Russia and to generalize. So I can only say what I think about this. From my point of view, the trend is very clear. It's a trend away from the, from the system of rules, far away towards uh, uh, the um, uh, power-based uh, interaction. But the problem is that we cannot expect such a luxury as balance of powers anymore. Because even compared to Europe in the 19th century, which was a pretty complicated system uh, indeed, but still, it was possible to create some kind of concert uh, between uh, great powers, then time great, power, great powers in Europe. But now, first of all, this is a global constellation. Actors which, which have to say, want to say, and has capacity to insist on what they say, those actors are numerous. So very many, actually, much, much more, um, multiple uh, uh, important actors. Uh, than uh, at any point before. And that, that's one problem for balance of powers, how you balance so many participation of this equilibrium. And secondly, I think it's, it's even more important, 
the aspects of, of power are uh, so diversified anymore. So previous understanding, the traditional understanding that only military power matters and all other uh, dimensions are secondary, it's not the case today, uh, which means that you should balance almost unlimited amount of actors with unlimited sites and, and source of uh, power projections. So I'm afraid it's simply out of reach, which means that we are rather moving towards combination of local overtends to establish local, regional, bilateral uh, balances of powers with a very unpredictable result. So one of the ideas of the rule-based order is that there should be some things which are red lines and which some people do, which, you know, which people don't do because they're, they're, they're outside of the sphere of, of, of what's acceptable. You had a, a recent discussion which was quite uh, widely publicized with Dmitry Trenin, another uh, Russian think tanker and thinker about the whole idea of red lines and, and the absence of fear anymore, which you know I think many people were interested in because it's in this context of discussions of nuclear escalation at the moment. How does that discussion that you had relate to these ideas of rule-based order? Do you think that that um, it is possible to re-establish some some basic um, red lines at the moment? Is, it, is that something which only nuclear weapons can can assure now? That's the key question, and I, I have no answer to that. So what we discussed with Dmitry Trenin was basically that all red lines which existed before or which we could imagine now, they disappeared, basically. There is no willingness on many sides to accept them. And in this regard, the Western powers, which still believe that a rules-based order should be imposed as the best one, as the best possible one, so they reject to accept uh, red lines, which is, uh, from the point of view of many Russian thinkers, an extremely dangerous approach. And that's why nuclear arms and nuclear deterrence is seen as the last remaining way to stop other countries from uh, crossing uh, those uh, red lines. And as we see the discussion in America, for example, about Russian indications that the nuclear factor can be uh, in the game. Again, uh, we see that the most popular view is that Russia is bluffing and we should not, so to say, listen to that and we, we should not stop because of that. And that's why training means that real fear should be reestablished. So the belief that in the last ditch effort to stop the, the enemy country, be it Russia or United States or whoever, uh, can use it, which was the foundation for the deterrence and relative stability during the Cold War, especially after Cuban Missile Crisis, which we remember the 60th year's anniversary right now. Uh, the discussion about uh, nuclear uh, deterrence, uh, from my point of view, it's, uh, it's a sign of how poorly we conducted all other ways to try to uh, find a solution. So the fourth question is about different concepts um, for thinking about, about the global order. It'd be interesting to hear, A, you know, how Russia defines some of the concepts people use a lot, like power, we've talked a bit about that, but also ideas of justice, freedom, but whether there are also other concepts which are useful for thinking about the global order from a Russian perspective. You introduced the notion of civilization, but are there some other ones that, that um, uh, we should come to understand? 
Uh, you know, that's a very big discussion, a very long one. So I think I limit myself to a very short uh, description of what is being discussed now, uh, in particular by President Putin, who is speaking quite uh, uh, eloquently now about power, freedom and justice. And he, he repeats uh, those notions in, in his speeches quite, quite frequently. That's, as, as it is being presented now, power is a way to guarantee freedom and to achieve justice. What does it mean? That in the rules-based order, the United States and, uh, and the West, uh, maybe for good reasons, maybe with very good intentions, but they wanted to push the rest of the world to follow a certain package of rules, be it uh, international behavior and uh, domestic political uh, system in, 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 uh, inside the countries. And that, that was a hegemony with uh, very far-reaching uh, consequences. So to transform not just the world, but each particular country. So it means that we need to come back to the notion of freedom in the sense that each country, each civilization has right to live as it wants. And no one should and could demand to change something inside this civilization, just to accept it as it is. And that is freedom for each country, each civilization, each uh, community to be as it is. Uh, to protect it, you need power. And when you have power to protect it, then you achieve justice. Okay. So the last question we've been looking at is this notion of the past and how um, that helps people understand where we are today and where we're going to go in the future. In the US and in Britain, you know, it's always 1938, people always comparing ourselves to, to, uh, to Chamberlain and the, the kind of Munich moment. What are the kind of key historical periods or dates that shape the way that Russians think about where we are at the moment? At this point, I, 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 I think it's, it's actually a very bad result of our development, but it is the fact of life. This is collapse of the Soviet Union and end of the Cold War, which created a situation which is perceived in Russia as unfair. We, we just mentioned this earlier. The way how the Cold War ended created the feeling that the country, the Soviet Union under Gorbachev, which generated enormous changes in the world and wanted to build up a completely new uh, world order, new international system. And Gorbachev came with his idea of new political thinking and so on. It ended up in a situation when the country disappeared. All uh, discussions before this disappearance were just canceled. And legitimate claims by this country, by Russia, to respect its, its uh, security interests have been abandoned by, by the winners, by those who won. And that created a big uh, amount of very bad feelings, which did exist from the beginning, but for quite a, quite a period. That was put aside because Russia really tried to become part of this new Western-led order. And it has to be noted that Putin, his first years, he did a lot to try to accommodate Russia with, with this order. He, doesn't, uh, he didn't want to destroy it. He wanted just to, to get a 
place which would be seen as a proper place for Russia in this Western Latin American led system. And uh, it didn't work for many reasons, including actually uh, no interest on the Western side to change anything in order to, to, to give Russia some, some extended, <laughs> extended rights, so to say. Uh, and that created accumulation of feelings which uh, exploded uh, this year. And I, I hope that uh, one beautiful day will come, probably after our life, when uh, historians and uh, political scientists will be able to very seriously study this period, because it was a very important moment in history, which was lost, and the reasons why we lost it are on both sides, not only on the Russian side. And But interestingly, the failure of that project of finding an accommodation for Russia in Western-led system has driven President Putin to look much further back in, in Russian history and try and flesh out some of these concepts of civilization, which you've been talking about earlier, which go back further than the, than the birth and the, the, the death of the Soviet Union. That's correct, and uh, it must be said just to, to understand. Putin is actually a very active anti-communist. And if you listen to what, is, what he's saying, he blames basically most of problems in our development on communists, starting from Lenin and ending with Gorbachev. And that's quite important. So he really sees inspiration in the so-called historical Russia before communism. Uh, and he's trying to, to find a way how to keep Soviet Union as part of history, but to actually connect back to, to the pre-Soviet Russia which from my point of view is impossible, but uh, he really has this uh, kind of historical Russia in mind. Of that pre-Soviet Russia, are there particular kind of moments or ideas which you think are important for people to understand? Oh, <laughs> that's a difficult question. I think we can look at several moments in Russian history, and each of those has certain element of uh, the current situation, creation of the Russian Empire, Putin loves to refer to Peter the Great, the period of Nicholas I, and so to say attempt to accommodate Russia to the changes in Europe, which has failed. And of course, this is, I think Putin's ideal is something like very fast developing Russia in the last years of 19th century and beginning of 20th century. And Russia was pretty different from Europe, but very much part of this surge, which we uh, saw there at that time. But uh, again, it's a very complicated mixture. Okay, great. Well, we covered a lot of ground together in the last half hour. The last thing we do in our podcast is, is the bookshelf segment. Are there books or articles that you think people would do well to, to study if they want to go deeper in this? Obviously, their starting point should be to look at Russia and global affairs and see many of the articles that you've written over the last few years on these things. But what are the other places where people could go? You know, I would recommend three sources. One source is, of course, Russia and global affairs journal. And in particular, last two issues, which we produced this year, uh, you can find there several articles with a Russian view on the future uh, of international order. For example, an article by a very distinguished uh, scholar, Dmitry Yefremenko, 
so and, and several others. So it's, it's really worth reading to understand Russian view. Secondly, uh, I would recommend um, a book published last year by Rutledge in, in Britain by my friend and colleague Timofey Borgachev. And this is called Russia, Europe and the Liberal Order. Very much Russian and very much interesting view on why we failed. And the third source, which is absolutely indispensable, please read Nikolai Gogol, because Gogol described everything about the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Great, fantastic. It's been really wonderful talking to you, Yoda. We'll put links up to all the publications you mentioned on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you have enjoyed listening to us, please do head to whatever platform you've used to download this website, uh, this podcast from and subscribe. And while you're there, it'd be really helpful if you could give us a positive review and a five-star rating. But for now, from Fyodor Lukyanov and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Lucy Halpenthal and our producer this week is Marlene Rieden. Mm-hmm.